This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone, Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. What a wild season this has been. I'm just looking at the notes right now. Entering the morning of August 16th, the A's held the second wild card with a two and a half game lead over the New York Yankees. But then the A's went on to lose 10 of their next 12 and lose their position. And now they've won four of their last five. It has been a a crazy year of just streaks. 19 of the A's remaining 28 games come against teams who have a winning record. You got six against Houston. You got Toronto for the next three. It's going to be really interesting. And how the A's perform going forward, can they climb that mountain and get back into this thing and get into the playoffs for the fourth straight year? They have been interesting to watch. I think there is no question about it. On today's program, you're going to love today. Joe Rudy is going to join us. A three-time World Series champion. And we get into the story which is one of the most interesting stories that you can talk about in in that time of A's baseball, where he and Raleigh Fingers get traded to the Boston Red Sox, but they don't end up playing for the Boston Red Sox. At that time, Boston was in the Bay Area. He and Raleigh Fingers would actually walk over to the other dugout but never played for the Boston Red Sox. Commander Cody, when you heard him talk about that earlier today, because obviously we taped it, wasn't that just fascinating to hear, like, at that time, what was going on? Because we can't even imagine what that would be like in Major League Baseball in 2021. Well, I think if you explain it to the audience today, they may, and if you've seen Moneyball, they probably think of Ricardo Rincon walking from the Indians clubhouse into the Ace clubhouse. But that's not what happened with Joe Rudy and Raleigh. They 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 walked over and they couldn't 
play, and then they didn't play after that. So it was a great story to hear from two weeks. Yeah. They sat out for two weeks, and then as Joe goes on to tell the story, you'll hear what happened after that. Uh, it's just remarkable that you had the, one of the greatest relievers slash pitchers of all time not playing and pitching, and Joe Rudy, one of the best defensive outfielders, not playing for Charlie Finley's team. It's just remarkable how baseball is run back in the 70s, uh, opposed to what it's like now. Just crazy. But, it, but it also, it, it goes to the craziness of professional sports that's been Oakland, California. Like, Oakland teams, if you go back to the, the history of the Raiders, uh, you look at the Warriors, you have literally some of the craziest stories in the history of their sports happened in this town. It's unbelievable. I mean, you go back with some of the Raiders stories. Oh my God. And, but there, but, but surrounding the dysfunction is greatness. And thinking about the history of what Joe Rudy and his teammates were able to accomplish. You know, it's only the A's and the Yankees have won three straight world series or more at one given point. There's only two organizations in the history of the game that have done it, which makes it pretty incredible. Uh, we were supposed to have Marcus Simeon, but that fell through. Um, and that was like 11th hour kind of thing. Um, but he's having a great year uh, for the Jay. So it'll be nice to see Marcus. Well, not nice to see Marcus play, but he's having a good year for the Jays, uh, along with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's also having a great year for the Jays. Well, and and I'll say this for Marcus, you know, we love him to death. What a, what, what a great A he was. What, what a good egg he is. And there is no question we are rooting for him. I, I, I don't know where it will be, but I'm hoping someone does give him a long-term contract. I, I, I'm hoping he gets that security for his family he, no question, has earned that once again. And I, I, I just think of what just, I mean, what just a great guy that he is and what he, what, what he means for your clubhouse that hopefully at some point we're going to see him. You know, who knows? Maybe it is back in Oakland. But just to see him land a permanent role with a certain team, because obviously it has not been easy to be a Toronto Blue Jay. He signs a one-year deal. They're playing at their spring training facility, which is a minor league ballpark. Then they got to go to Salem Field, their AAA ballpark in Buffalo, which we know is not a great location. And just finally, they are back to playing in Toronto truly one of the great cities in Major League Baseball. But Toronto has had issues with, with getting shots and vaccinations. And uh, as we know, Cody, going into this thing, the great Mickey Morabito told us how hard it was just to get the team into play in this series. And we know that unvaccinated players will not be allowed to go anywhere but the hotel and to the ballpark. Uh, they had to pitch Frankie Montas early because, I guess, visa problems. I mean, Cody, getting into Toronto right now is no day at the beach. 
Well, remember when Marcus signed there, what we said? We were worrying that he might never might not ever play a game in Toronto with the way things were going. Yeah. And now he's he's playing in Toronto and the Jays are the Jays are interesting because they're in fourth place in the AL East, but they're they have the fourth best run differential in the American League at plus one hundred and seventeen. That's crazy. It just shows you how good the AL East is. But they have a plus one seventeen run differential. And they're five games behind Boston for the final wild card spot, which means they're they're five behind Boston. That means they're three behind Oakland, I believe it is. Yeah, because we're two behind. Yeah, so three behind us. So, and they have all, and you know, they got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has thirty nine home runs. Marcus is having a good year. Robbie Ray is a dark horse for the Cy Young, but that's it. I mean, if you look at their pitching, it's just it's just Robbie Ray. I mean, Alec Manoa, who's pitching tonight. Manoa and Manaya. That's a. I mean, that's a big thing. Everyone kept seeing people talk about on Twitter is that matchup with those two names. But Ryu's kind of struggled, and you haven't really got a lot of your other guys. So the Jays, I can see why they've struggled. They have no pitching, but uh, their offense is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, your guy Bo Bichette, he's he's going to be playing. I haven't really heard a lot about. I haven't the name that I haven't really heard a lot about is Kevin Biggio. I don't know. I haven't really seen what he's really done this year, but his name has not been mentioned a lot this year for the Jays. Well, I, 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 you mentioned Vladimir Guerrero Jr. On any given year, this is the type of guy that wins an MVP award. But the problem is Shohei Otani is doing something so historic that we've never seen this before will cause Vladimir Guerrero Jr. probably not to win the MVP. But if you look at the stats and you look at the year that he has had, as you mentioned, in a division that's got really good teams. I mean, I mean, just think about it. I mean, what the Raves have been this year, the Yankees, the the Red Sox, the Blue Jays. I mean, playing in the AL East is not easy. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. truly has put up a, a year that would warrant him to be an MVP. It's just I, I don't think he has any chance, right? Well, I, so I've been tracking this. Um, and not a, I don't know if how many people who don't watch the Jays play uh, have been watching this. Vlad's not that far from potentially winning the Triple Crown. He's only five behind Michael Brantley in the batting average in the American League. He's three home runs behind Otani. He has 39. Otani has 42. And he has 96 RBIs. And I think uh, Jose Abreu is 102. So he's only six RBIs behind Jose Abreu. So he's right there tracking towards potentially winning the AL Triple Crown, which has been done since Miguel Cabrera won it back in 2012, where everyone thought he shouldn't have won the MVP over Mike Trout. But that's a different debate for a different day. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is having a great year. He has an over a 1,000 OPS, a 171 OPS plus. He's having an incredible year. But you're right, what Otani's been able to do for the Angels, he's probably going to win it. And another guy we talked about the other day, Sal Perez, is what he's doing as a catcher, is remarkable too, but it's all being you know it's all being overshadowed because of how great Otani's been for the Angels. Well, think about that. If he ends up passing Johnny Bench for the record for most home runs by a catcher in a season, which was what forty five? Yeah, forty five. And you don't win the MVP. I mean, I mean, you're talking about historic seasons that are going on, and Vladdy Jr hitting 312, 39 bombs, and 96 RBIs. He's been an absolute monster this year. 
I mean, you, you like you feel bad for these guys knowing that the years that they're having should warrant, no question, should warrant an MVP. I mean, you think about it, you're going to break Johnny Bench's record and you don't win the MVP. That just shows you how special Shohei Otani has been this year and what a star he truly has become in the game to where, you know, I, I notice people who talk about him who aren't even baseball fans. He's he he's very good for the game. I think there's no question about that. Oh, absolutely. And what he, and he's pitching tonight. He hasn't pitched since August 25th because he got hit in the hand or wherever he got hit, and that's been the you know the he big got hit knock. In the hand, yeah, yeah, that's been the big knock on him. He doesn't pitch every five days, but he what he's doing for the Angels who aren't let's let's face it, they're not exciting to watch while Mike Trout's not playing. But Otani's been giving you a reason to watch them play. He's giving you a reason to watch him play. He's he's. He's doing remarkable things we're probably never going to see again, at least in my lifetime and your lifetime, unless another two-way player comes up. And to look at what Vladimir Guerrero is doing, he's going to blow past 40 home runs. He could potentially win the Triple Crown. I saw someone say, I think it was Anthony Castro of MLB.com, saying he thinks that Sal Perez could break the Royals' all-time record for home runs in a season, which is 48 a few years ago by Jorge Soler, the now Braves outfielder. 48 home runs by a catcher. It's what he thinks Sal Perez could do. And he won't win the MVP because of how good Otani's been. It's just, it's crazy. And you put in context how great Otani has been for the Angels and for the sport of baseball. Uh, it's it's truly remarkable. But, but you can make the argument he's not the MVP. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, none of these, if you want to look at the MVP, I mean, the three of these guys are all playing on teams that are on the outside looking in. If you think about the three well, guys we're at mentioning. Least, at least Toronto is 70 and 62 and has a chance at the postseason. But I mean, you look at the angels, they're what they're under 500. I want to say they're like 12 and a half games back. They're not even, I mean, they're not even close to the wild card. So it, it gets down to, it's like the, the Andre Dawson when he won the MVP for the Cubs and they were in last place. You're like, he's the best player. There's no question. But is he really the MVP? Is he the most valuable? And and we talk about him as a two-way player, but he is so inconsistent as a starter. You cannot rely on him as a starter. So once again, is he really the MVP? Think about it this way. The Blue Jays could have the Cy Young and the MVP, and the team could not make the playoffs. When was the last time that happened? The MVP and the Cy Young from the same team, and the team didn't make the playoffs. Because what Robbie Ray's doing, he's 10-5 and five with a 2.71 ERA. He has 202 strikeouts and only 159 in the third innings. He broke the record set by you, Darvish. He had 1,241 Ks through 1,000 career innings. Darvish had 1,222. So Robbie Ray is the fastest through that many strikeouts through 1,000 innings. So what he's done is great, but that's it. He could be the first Cy Young winner from Toronto since the late Roy Halladay in 2003. And they've had four guys win the Cy Young, three in a row. It was uh, Pat Hennigan. Is that how Pat Hennigan back in 96? Yeah. And then Roger Clemens won it back-to-back years in 97, 98. And then Roy Halladay won it. People for, yeah, people forget Roger Clemens. I think both those years in Toronto, he won the pitching triple crown where he had the most wins, the best ERA, and the most strikeouts. And then, of course, would leave to go to the New York Yankees. But I think a lot of people forget about 
Roger Clemens and what he did in Toronto was pretty incredible. Question is, well, there's two questions for the A's today. And I, 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 I'm looking at your, your, your KD shirt. Um, as of right now, KD is coming to the A's. Speaking so you, you've called for it in the postgame show. Many people have said Chris Davis is hot. Chris Davis is playing well. He's carrying the Aviators, getting back in the lineup. He is coming back to the A's. We know that. As of right now, when I look, MLB.com, I have it in front of me. The lineup is is set, and KD is not in it. It goes Josh Harrison's leading off, Starling Marte hitting second, Matt Olson third, Matt Chapman red hot, two home runs last night. Could have been three. But Matt Olson is hit. I mean, Matt Chapman is hitting uh, is hitting fourth. Jed Lowry hitting fifth, DHing. So you're claiming Cody what when you look at the DH spot? Because right now this has been submitted to MLB.com. Jed Lowry is in the DH spot. Well, as no of, as of now, KD is speaking to the media right now. So he's speaking to our beat writers and. We'll talk to Martin Gallegos in about 20 minutes. He's not in Detroit, but I'm sure he's on the Zoom call with KD as KD is now back in Oakland. Oh, well, he's not in Detroit? No, he, no. Didn't, he didn't travel. He's going to be in Toronto, though, but he didn't go to Detroit. So, But I'm sure he's on the Zoom call with KD. Why would he not be in Detroit? I don't know. He told me yesterday that he wasn't in Detroit after he said he'd come on. He, says, I'm not tra- or he said on Twitter that he wasn't traveling to Detroit, but he would be in Toronto. So, so you've been in communication with Chris Davis? Uh, I have not been in communication with Chris Davis, but KD on Twitter, he's speaking to the media. I see people posting pictures. Our friend Jessica Kleinschmann has pictures or some quotes from KD. The official lineup from our PR staff on Twitter has not been posted. So I haven't seen anything about a lineup. So I know MLB.com has a lineup. Well, he's not in Detroit, so if he's not in Detroit, he can't play. No, no, Chris Davis is in Detroit. I'm saying Martin is not in Detroit. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, Chris Davis is in Detroit. He arrived there earlier. So he's speaking to the media right now on Zoom. So he's at Comerica Park. Yes, Martin is not at Comerica Park. So the odds are we may see him in a pinch hit role later on tonight. Oh, well, I mean, maybe he's playing. Bob's speaking to the media next. Maybe Bob goes, ah, I'm going to change the lineup. Chris Davis will be hitting. Uh, they've already submitted the lineup. That's not. I mean, there's a righty on the mound. Willie Peralta's a righty, so I mean, if you want to play the split game, righty, righty. I don't know. They, 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 they put the lineup out already, and I doubt that's going to change. But he's, you know what? And and, and the thing that I have said, and I'll continue to say it. You got nothing to lose. Chris Davis, right now. Last time I checked, he's hit more like three thirteen. He's hit 10 home runs. He's hot. And when Chris Davis is hot, he can carry a ball club. We've lived it. And you haven't been scoring runs. You've struggled with runners in scoring position. If Chris Davis shows up and does what we know he can do, major bonus but if he shows up and doesn't do anything, 
you get rid of him. Because isn't isn't Vegas going to be playing into October the way the minor league system is working? Like, it's not like it would be over in early September. Aren't, right, Cody, aren't they playing, like, into October? Yeah, they're playing through the month of September because of the late start. And, you know, remember, they're playing six-game series now. They're playing through the end of September. And there's a quote now that I just saw from Bob Melvin. Uh, Bob said that after talking to Chris Davis, he made a comment saying, this call-up might be a bigger moment than his original call-up from the, from the minors. So, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, he, he, you're right, though. He was hitting 333, 10 homers at Ve- in Vegas. Uh, you're right. We've seen it. He can carry a team when he gets hot. Three straight years of 40-plus home runs playing in Oakland. Um, he looks like the, the old KD. But, I, but, again, the ball flies in Las, in AAA in Las Vegas, in AAA West. All right, all right, all right, man. You don't hit over 300 if you're not seeing the ball well. Oh, of course. That's how baseball works. And I know we 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 like to act like, oh, it's the big leagues. Hey, listen, the guys in the minor leagues, they blow Ched too. And the guys in AAA are pretty good. Hell, we were at some San Jose Giant games watching guys throw 97-98. If you're down there and you're hitting, you still have to square it up. We have seen that. It's been very impressive. What are you texting me? I was letting you know that I gave uh, Dan Dickerson the number to call us. So if he doesn't get, if he doesn't call us, and if you you know around two fifteen, I'll give him a call. But Martine will be calling us. So just a heads up. So hopefully Dan calls us. But if not, I'll give him a call. But you're right. If you're hitting three, if you're hitting over three hundred in AAA, you're definitely seeing the ball. Hit, well. Like that's, I I get so tired of that when people are like, well, it's the minor leagues. These guys are professionals. Triple-A pitchers are legit pitchers. They're some of the best pitchers in the world. You're hitting a home run every night. You're hitting over 300. You're balling. But can he do that up here? Which, you know, the last time we saw Chris, Chris Davis had a slow bat. Chris Davis was somebody who looked uninterested. He was somebody that couldn't hit velocity. I mean, that was the thing that Bob Melvin, I mean, he eventually had to like, he eventually had to tell us that, you know, we can only play him against soft tossers because he can't hit velocity anymore. That became the major problem with Chris Davis. Can he now turn it back to what we saw where at one time he had 48 home runs? He led Major League Baseball in home runs. It'd be an unbelievable story. I mean, you think about what this story would be where you go from out of baseball, the Texas Rangers, a last place team. God, I haven't even looked how bad they are. They have uh, 40, I think they have 40. 45 wins or something like that. Oh, you're selling them short. They got 47 wins. Oh, my mistake. They're 47 and 85. They're 31 games out of first place. That team, by the way, they've won three in a row. Um, That team, that team released him. Think about that. They wanted to get rid of Elvis. They wanted to get rid of his contract. 
and they eventually release Chris Davis. If he comes back to the A's and starts hitting home runs again, it'll be one of the great stories we've ever seen in A's history. Would you disagree with that? No, not at all. I mean, if he can, like you said, three straight years of hitting 40 or more home runs, and he led the league in home runs with 48, I mean, it'd be something. And if he can carry the team for a month, we saw what he did last year in the playoff series against Houston when his bat started getting hot. He started performing well, and then... Remember, they were only putting him when there wasn't velocity. Yeah, that's true. And, well, then again, everyone was hitting home runs in that series at Dodger Stadium. Something was going on down there. Because when yeah, we how many balls, everybody, Chad Penner's hitting the ball out to right field, and we're like, oh my God, Chad Penner needs to play every day. Well, now, that now, this is my only thing. Every time we've seen a guy get called up from the minors, they they had him sit on the bench, and then their hot streak they were on, it kind of goes away. Luis Barrera, we've seen it happen with Sky Bolt before, because Austin Allen got called up as well. Austin Allen in the minors, I know, was hitting, he, had, he was hitting 321 in Vegas, he had 20 home runs. So both these guys, that's a lot of home runs in, from AAA Las Vegas that are coming up. You can add to this lineup. So hopefully we get to see these guys in the lineup sooner than later because they both added a lot of pop in that lineup. That Okay, so who's officially called up and not on the taxi squad? Because uh, we did it's, this it's, last it's, night. It's officially Austin Allen and Chris Davis. So because you're going from 26 to 28. to 28. If you play a doubleheader, you can go to 29. The other five guys are going on a taxi squad. Yeah, for, they, for, they will travel. They will travel with the team, but they're going to be on a taxi squad. So Austin Allen and Chris Davis are the official official two roster spots. Yes, and then Sky Bolt was obviously called up because Mitch Moreland was put on the disabled or in the injured list yesterday. So the two official moves are Austin Allen. Recalled and Chris Davis called up from AAA Las Vegas. People are excited about Chris Davis being back. I mean, Twitter was pretty excited. And I went back and looked at a, I put together a comprehensive list of former A's players to wear the number 11. Can you guess any former A's players that wore number 11? You know, I don't know numbers. Give you a Number, couple. Numbers, I, baseball fans like numbers. The only numbers I really remember are football numbers, right? You remember. Who guys are? John Elway's wearing 17. Deion Sanders is 21. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, baseball numbers have never been a thing to me. Babe Ruth's what, three? Yeah. So you got like, like, what was Jeter? Five? Jeter was two. He was two? Who was five? Oh, Mickey Mantle was five. Mantle was, I thought, no, DiMaggio was five. I thought Mantle was seven. Oh, DiMaggio was five. Yogi was Yogi was with somebody. Yogi was what? Yogi was Eight? Yogi was let me see. That's a good question now. Like I don't care about baseball numbers. Baseball numbers are kind of irrelevant to me. Yogi was number 8. And but he, there was somebody else who was 8. They they were re, like retired together. Um Mano might have been 7. Yeah, Mickey was 7. He was 7. DiMaggio was 5. Here, you want me to pull up Yankee retired? No. Retired Yankee jerseys. Billy Martin's jersey is retired, number one. Uh, are these are these really the numbers they have retired? 
Wow, they have a lot of numbers retired. Um, Florida, a lot of Vino was zero. Yeah. Is he, is he getting retired? <laughs> well, Lou, Lou Gehrig, number four. Joe, Joe Torre was six. Uh, Bill Dickey was also number eight. Uh, Roger Maris was nine. Phil Rizzuto was 10. Thurman Munson was 15. Whitey Ford, the chairman of the board, was 16. Jorge Posado was 20. Donnie Baseball was 23. Elson Howard was 32. Casey Stengel, 37. Like, when you think 23, who do you think of 23? Um, in baseball or just 23 no. overall? Michael Jordan. 23. Michael, Michael Jordan. James. LeBron James? I mean, Michael Jordan. Right? Yeah, it's, yes, it's Michael Jordan. Uh, then, obviously, you got Mariano, Reggie, Andy Pettit, 46. Ron Guidry's 49. And Bernie Williams is 51. Those are the number of yet retired Yankee jerseys. So, notable A's players were number 11. Comprehensive. There's a bunch, but I hear some of the notable ones. Tony La Russa, uh, Dave Duncan, Ron Say, Frank Menachino. Wait, the Penguin wore 11? Yeah. Frank Menachino, Jared Parker, Rajay Davis, and friend of the program, one Billy Bean in 1989. Now, do you think Chris Davis asked Billy Bean if it was okay to wear number 11? How have we not? How have we not retired that? <laughs> the great Dave Duncan, who went to high school with my mom. The last num- the last player to wear number eleven for the A's was uh, Jacob Wilson earlier this season. Because obviously number two is taken by Starling Marte, so that number is not going to be given up. You know, by the way, he ain't giving it up. Yeah, what, whatever, I, what, whatever Starling wants, Starling gets. I, I'm telling I he has been one of the most electrifying fun players. Like last night, he hits a ball in the 5.5 hole, he beats it out. Like, Starling, for the, so far for the A's, has been absolutely incredible. He's been one of the most fun players to watch on a daily basis that I've seen in years. I mean, it's 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 every day he does something. And I, I, you know, I have no idea what his contract is going to be like going forward and what he'll sign for. But God bless him. What he is, what he has done for the A's, is truly. I mean, last what X amount of years, we have not seen a guy show up and play like this. He is delivered like you wouldn't believe. It's been incredible. I, saw, I mean, when when you start refer you start referencing Ricky Henderson, who is obviously one of the greatest players to have ever lived. We're referencing Ricky with him now. That's how good Starling Marte has been for the A's. I saw a note on Marte. He's the first player in MLB history to steal at least twenty bases in two different leagues during the same season. <laughs> that's pretty <It's> incredible, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. It's incredible what he's doing. He's made the team different, I guess would be the best way to to describe it. They're different because of him. More guys are running. More guys feel like they can run. And he's just shown up. He's like, this is how I play. You watch more pirate baseball than any of us, Cody. There's no way he was this good. I mean, uh, he's playing like a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he well, he was always overshadowed in Pittsburgh, though, because of McCutcheon. But he was a good player. I mean, he was a good player in Pittsburgh, but not like this. I mean, he had a couple of years where he stole 40 bases, 
I think his career high in steals when he played in Pittsburgh was somewhere around. Uh, he had, I think he stole forty. He stole forty-seven in twenty sixteen, the only year he was ever an All Star. And he's at what right now forty-two, so he might blow by that this year. Yeah, but how many did he? He's he's stolen over twenty with us. Yeah, he has twenty. He has twenty with the A's, twenty-two with the Marlins. So he's, he's only been here since the trading deadline. His 20 steals in 20. High. Think about that. His career high, you said what, is 47? 47 in 129 games. He's stolen 20 already for us. 20 in, in 29 games. <laughs> this is this is the best stretch that he's ever had in his career. Maybe not power-wise, because what, what does he have with us? Two, two home runs? He had, yeah, two home runs and 14 runs driven in. But... If you look at the way he he's played, it's got to be the best stretch of his career. Oh yeah, and even his batting average. I mean, his bat he was hitting 344. His best year, his best year ever batting average wise uh was 2016 where he hit 311. The the year he was an all-star. He hit 311 that year where he had he only hit 9 homers. His best power year was 2019. How old was he then? 2016 he was 27. His best power year was 2019 at age of 30. His last year in Pittsburgh uh, he hit at age 30, he hit 23 homers and drove in 82, and he stole 25 bases. So he was a 2020 guy for a bad Pirates team. I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? I got to look up Jesus Lazardo. It's not, it's not good. I think he pitched the other day. He, he, did get a, he did get a win the other day. Oh, my God, his numbers are terrible. But with Miami, he is three and three with a seven point six two ERA. He's, God, he's he's better than that. It it, it kind of is unbelievable. Yeah, he's he's struggled. I mean, uh, Miami's a lot of Miami's young starting pitchers have struggled, but I mean, he's I mean, he's only pitched in twenty eight and a third innings and six starts. I had this in buying. We have like eight minutes left, and I don't want. I don't. I don't need to go through the whole buying or selling uh, shtick with it for you. But did you see what happened in the uh, Padres game last night? Why can't we do the whole shtick of buying or selling? All right. Well, because there's a lot of audio for this. Is Padres bit? But fine, I could do it. All right. Let me get the open ready. You getting lazy on me? Here we go. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, so last night in the uh, Padres win over the uh, the uh, helpless Tori Lovello fighting the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, what are they? Wait, what, what, I haven't checked. I'm going to do it right now. How far back? Are the D backs? Oh my God! You want to take a guess? Forty-one. I looked earlier. It's forty-one, right? Forty-one. They're forty-one games out of first place. Oh my God! They're forty-four and ninety. Yeah, they're awful. By the way, Fran Reardon in for tomorrow. The greatest manager in the history of AAA baseball will be our uh, guest tomorrow. Fran, 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 Fran's the man. I can't wait. All right, so the uh, eight thirty in the morning because pregame's at nine ten. Can't wait. So the Padres were going for another no hitter last night against uh, the uh, the Diamondbacks, as I mentioned, but they didn't get it. But Blake Snell did go seven hitless innings with one hundred and seven pitches. 
But then he was pulled with, as I mentioned, the, the pitches. He had 10 strikeouts and two walks. Here's what manager, not friend of the program, Jace Tingler said about pulling Blake Snell. The reality is he's, uh, he's coming off his career high pitches, career high innings. He's on a great roll right now. And, you know, it's, it's 107 pitches and, you know, basically he's on pace uh, averaging 15, 16 pitches an inning. And, you know, if everything continues, you're talking, you know, in the possibly one forties and um, you know, two things you think about, you think about the game tonight, uh, how, how do you get the win? And then also, uh, keeping him in a good position uh, going forward. So uh, it's it's <laughs> it's it's not what you want to do, but uh, I feel it, I felt it was the right thing to do uh, tonight and, and, and for going forward as well. So, so that's what Jace Tingler had to say uh, after pulling Blake Snell. Now, when he mentioned his career high, his career high was he threw 122 pitches and went seven and two thirds. Seven and two-thirds is his career high. He did that against the Dodgers last week. Now, Snell also defended the decision, saying it was smart for taking him out. And we'll be tonight with uh, Harold Reynolds, friend of the program, uh, Dan Polisak, also a friend, and uh, Greg Amesinger. They discussed it, and they pretty much said it's on the system, not the pitcher, for him not being able to go, not, go the distance. Blake Snell's never pitched in the ninth inning in his career, and he's won a Cy Young. Think about that. He's never pitched in the ninth inning, and he's won a Cy Young Award. Now, I found this interesting. The Padres, uh, they talk about the system. Joe Musgrove has two complete games this year. He's thrown a no-hitter, and he has another complete game this year. Now, his pitch counts were 112-111, but still, he has a complete. He has two complete games. Uh, 11 of Blake Snell's 25 starts, he didn't even go five innings. So how's that the system's problem if he can't go five innings? Remember how the Rays don't ever let guys go a complete game? They have a complete game this year. So, again, how's it the system's problem? Buying or selling, the system is responsible for Blake Snell. I, I'm, I'm not buying that. I'm selling. I'm calling him soft. I mean, at some point, you got to say this is my game. And the manager goes, yeah, it's your game. You're not taking me out. I'm finishing this thing. If you have that mentality, he clearly doesn't have that mentality. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you go into the manager's office and ream his, you know what, at some point, Hey man, I'm rolling. We're trying to make the playoffs here. Don't the Padres own the second wild card? Yeah, they're tied with the, uh, the red legs in Cincinnati tied. Nah, I think they're up. No, it's, I looked earlier. They're tied with the reds. You sure? No, the Reds are a half game out. I'm looking. Well, let me refresh my standings here. But yeah, I'm trying to pitch us in the playoffs. Yeah. What are we yeah. doing here? And the Padres, I mean, I, they're playing right now, and you Darvish just got taken out of the game early again. So yeah, you you need you need him to step up, and so that's the you know what taking these guys out so early that is the system, and it's a system that's not working. I mean, I, I, you know, when we have Scott Emerson on and Scott Emerson says, hey, listen, 130 pitches. But everybody's panicking when the starter gets to around 100. That's what drives me nuts about Frankie Montas. It literally drives it. Yeah, Cincinnati's a half game behind the Padres. So the Padres right now own the second wild card. But that drives me nuts. It's like, 
The guy's 255 pounds. The guy's built to go 130, 40, 50, whatever. Like, you're taking him out after 92, and he's, I mean, think about his start against the Yankees. He was dominant, right? The Yankees are red hot. They're one of the best lineups in baseball. Frankie Montas is mowing them down. Whoever you're bringing in from the bullpen isn't better than him on that night. Can't we all agree on that? Uh, not with the way I mean, with the way he's been pitching, no one's been better than him. So why are you taking him out at 90, I think he had 98 pitches or whatever? Dude's 255 pounds. He's built. He And we, what we've been seeing with Frankie is he's getting stronger late in games. Why can't he pitch the whole game? I don't get it. It's that I would buy is the system. Blake Snell, soft. Everybody else, I would buy it's the system. Yeah, I just don't. I, when I heard that, I'm just like, come on. The guy's never pitched into the ninth inning in his career. Seven and two thirds is his career high, and he's won a Cy Young. I mean, well, I mean, what are we doing? Yar- Ryan Yarbrough is the guy that has a complete game for the Rays this year. He was the bulk guy after the opener. He's the guy with the complete game, and Blake Snell can't go nine innings. This is a guy that came in after the opener who has a complete game on his, on his resume this year. So don't tell me it's the system. Let the guy pitch. Let him do it. 11 of 25 starts, he didn't go five innings. I, I'm sorry, it's not Larry Rothschild's fault, the guy they fired last week. It's not, it's not his fault. That's all I got. I'm sorry. I, the Padres thing was driving me crazy because that was a big story last night because immediately after they took him out, the Padres gave up a hit. So they lost a no-hitter in the eighth inning. So good for Torrey and the Snakes for not getting no-hit by the Padres. Oh, God, Torrey. <laughs> Poor guy. Our Poor guy, guy. Torrey, is <laughs> a good guy. We love him to death. But, man, they are having a bad year. There, that is – God. There's a question we'll get to on Friday with you. Um, it, it's – I'll get to I'll get, uh, get to on Friday about um, the way baseball is going. We could see – I think I have to look. We could see one, two, three – we could see four teams finish with under 55 wins this year four that's not good no that's why this whole floor you know we see a ceiling but we need a floor in baseball why it's going to be so important to tell teams that listen tanking is not acceptable you got to spend at least 100 million dollars a year that means the A's will have to spend 100 million but everybody will have to spend 100 million isn't that what they project? What wasn't that the first number they threw out? hundred, yeah. and, and you can negotiate down a little bit. Like every team, okay, well, right, every team has to spend eighty or eighty-five. But just going full on tank mode, this is really bad for the game, and it affects everybody, right? Like think about the A's. It's like you're chasing both the Yankees and the Red Sox, and these teams have multiple games left with the Orioles. And the Orioles aren't trying. No, they beat the so Blue Jays it, last night. Huh? <laughs> they beat the Blue Jays last night. But that that's the thing. It's like it, it affects you. It affects more than just the teams in your division. The A's are trying to go to the playoffs for the fourth straight year. And they're chasing teams in the East who got a bunch of games against the Orioles. What do we say? The Red Sox got, what, six games left against the Orioles? Yeah, it's, it's not good. The Rays went 18-1 versus them this year. 18-1 versus the Orioles. That's a, that's just that's bad news. David, how are you? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, hi, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well. You know, thirty-one games left. We're we're in a uh, 
full-on <laughs> sprint to the finish line here up against, you know, the Astros, Yankees, Red Sox. The Mariners are right behind us. Only 31 left, David. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. you know, we don't have a lot of great division races this year. Uh, only only the NL West is close, but we got some fun wild card races, so we'll take what uh, the baseball gods give us, I guess. What did you think about the A's winning the last two games and splitting the series with the New York Yankees? Yeah, no, that was huge. You know, the way they've been struggling to score any runs um, with the Yankees on that big win streak, you know, the win on Saturday, the, the big win on Sunday with the Tony Kemp home run. Look, at this time of year, you feel like every win is momentum. That's probably overstating things, but um, when you win two big games like that, it, you just feel like it's going to lead to more big things, which we all know that's not always the case, but at least that's the feeling. That's the rush of a big win like that at this time of year. Yeah, no doubt. It, it felt like playoff games is what it felt yeah. like. Well, that's what I love about this time of year. Maybe not if you're an Orioles fan or a Pirates fan or a Rangers fan, but, you know, for the teams that are in it, right, you feel that. The fans are really getting into the games, you know, when it's two, you know, playoff contenders going at it, it does feel like a playoff game. And this is why I love this time of year. I know football is starting and that kind of gets a lot of the headlines across the sports world, but look, September and October are, are my favorite time of the baseball calendar. How do you think the Red Sox are going to finish out the season? I should look at their schedule here. How many games do they have against the Orioles? <laughs> that's 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 the key, right? I mean, Tampa Bay just finished. Uh, I think they must have swept the Orioles. You know, they they went eighteen and one against Baltimore this year. Um, so so that's a huge key. Let me if you give me a second here. I'll call up the Red Sox schedule because. That's a huge part. You know, there's three other really good teams in that division, one really bad team. Um, so the remaining schedule, it, it's it's huge for a team like the Red Sox, who played great in the first half and kind of just been mediocre since the All-Star break. Uh, you know, they, ha they have six games left against Baltimore. So that's probably five or six wins right there. Uh, they only have one series left against the Yankees. And they have six against Tampa, and they're done against Toronto. So it's not – they don't have too many intra-division games left. So I think that makes things a little harder for the A's, the fact that the Red Sox schedule isn't super tough down the stretch. Yeah, you know, when I think about Tampa, I mean, it, it just – they are so strong, and they're so tough. Now, the, I, I'm, I'm now looking at the Red Sox schedule myself. And, uh, yeah, they <laughs> they got three with the Orioles at the end of the month. But, you know, it's it, it's not going to be totally easy because you got Mariners in there, you got Yankees, and you got Rays multiple times. It's it's, it's not going to be completely easy for, for the Boston Red Sox. No, and, they yeah, they have a road trip in September to the White Sox and the Mariners, so that's a tough one, and that's right. They play Tampa Bay right before that. They end with a road trip to Baltimore and Washington. So that's a pretty easy road trip to end the season. Two teams that are absolutely playing out the string. Can't wait to get to the golf course in the offseason. Uh, it just seems like the bad teams this year are so bad that, you know, the good teams are really just starting to roll all over them. But, you know, um, you know, we overrate the schedule. It's, it's important 
but it's not the you know the decisive matter in, in a thing like this. You know, and, and that's kind of the sad thing about our game is when you just have teams that are, I mean, the players, the coaches, the manager, they're trying, but the yeah. front offices aren't trying. And that's why I kind of like when we've been hearing these rumblings in the CBA, if you're going to have basically a salary cap, which we have now, where we're going to penalize you for spending a lot of money, I do like the fact of having some type of floor that forces teams to spend money to try and be competitive because, you know, like we're talking about, the Orioles are a pushover right now. That, 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 Dave, that's not good for our game. Yeah, like you said, it's not that the Orioles aren't playing. They're just out, man. You know, they're going to have a triple-A team, basically. Yeah, and that's the issue. How do you solve that? There's, there's various ways, a salary floor, um, which the players – would like as long as it doesn't go along with a salary cap, which of course the owners would also like. Um, at the same time, you know, the, if you make a team spend more money and they're doing it on mediocre players, that's not going to make them that much better. Uh, I don't know how to address it. I think personally, I think you need to fix the draft. Maybe it's a draft lottery. Maybe you can't pick in the top five more than one year in a row. You got to promote competitiveness and right now what we're seeing obviously are is our teams trading off all their 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 older players go young for three or four years try to stock up in the draft and get competitive but it leads to a lot of really bad baseball yeah and and, and i think about i you know i think about this cba coming up what are you hearing and do you think do you think that we're going to get a deal done cuz let's face it there's so much money out there to be made why would they screw this thing up Yeah unfortunately we're not hearing a whole lot which makes it uh, it's a concern right um I think it expires I should know that I think it doesn't expire technically until December 31st or maybe it's December 1st. It's December um, 1st, I think. Yeah. Yeah. December 1st. I think you're right. You know, there's no way that I see a deal being finalized before then, you know, and a lot of the experts who know a lot more about this than me say they would not be surprised if when we get to spring training, that there is a lockout that they don't expect a resolution um, you know, by, by, you know, late February when, when camps open. So, so that's a concern, um, that first owner, that first offer the owners floated a couple weeks ago with a, a reduced luxury tax threshold. I mean, that's a non-starter. There's no way the players are going to go for that, even if it did come with a, a salary floor. So it just feels like they're still a long ways apart. You know, I think about the article that you just did on ESPN.com, and it was a really fun read. And when you delve into baseball history and look at some of the great years, whether you're talking about Ruth or Williams or Mantle or Steve Carlton, Pedro Martinez, and you just think of what Shohei Otani is in our game right now, how much fun was it to do this article? And really, how great is Shohei Otani? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, so I picked, you know, the greatest season from every decade going back to Honus Wagner in 1908. Yeah, it, it's obviously it's hard to compare Otani because he's doing it on both sides of the ball. If you're somebody like me who's in the, you know, war wins above replacement on a peer valuation method analysis, his season, you know, maybe it's not quite 
up there with the best of Babe Ruth or the best of Barry Bonds. At the same time, what he's doing is is basically unprecedented. You know, Babe Ruth did it a couple years uh, back in 1918 and 1919, but he wasn't as good at both as Shohei Otani is. By the time Ruth was doing both, he was kind of just a mediocre pitcher. Um, so it's hard to compare, but no doubt it has to be considered one of the all-time great seasons. You know, when I think about Shohei as a pitcher, like we already know, you know, we were the first ones to see him, right? Like he he showed up, he's hitting bombs in batting practice, he's throwing almost 100 miles an hour. You're like, wow, this guy is incredible. But as a pitcher, the problem is you can't rely on him on a consistent basis. So how do you value that? Yeah, you know, Chris, though, how many pitchers can you rely on in in 2021? You know, yeah, he's made 19 starts. He was supposed to pitch tonight, but uh, they're going to skip him because he got hit in the hand the other day while swinging. Yeah, he's not uh, out there. He's not going to give you 32 starts and 200 innings like a Walker Bueller is going to do for the Dodgers. But on a rate basis, he's very effective. And look, if you can get he's at 19 starts, so say he's healthy all of September, he gets up to 23 or 24 starts, 140 innings, you know, in this day and age, that's not too shabby, I guess. As long as you're effective, any team will take that. Do you ever see a point where the Angels will go, he's far more valuable as a position player, and that it's just like he's going to play every day and maybe he doesn't pitch? Do you ever see that happening? Well, look, I guess if he keeps doing this, no, they're going to keep keep them both ways. I guess uh, you kind of have to think what might happen. Well, obviously another pitching injury, and then they might say enough. You're too valuable as a hitter. Imagine what he could do on defense with his speed and arm. Um, he'd be an unbelievable left fielder or right fielder. Heck, he might be able to play center field. Time to move Mike Trout to left field. Um, wow. I would love to. Right? I mean, don't you think he'd be a great yeah. outfielder? He's one of the fastest players in the league. So I'd love to see him in the outfield. But um, I think as long as his arm stays healthy, He's proven he can do this. Now there comes a point where if he, you know, as he gets into his thirties, you know, maybe doing both is just too much, but for now he's young. He's in phenomenal shape. He's a baseball playing machine. I'd keep him doing both. You know, we brought Mark Kotze on the program. I played against Kotze in college. And when Kotze was at Cal state Fullerton, I mean, this guy's hitting over 400 and hitting bombs, and then he'd come in the ninth inning throwing 97, 98 right. and close the games out. And so we brought Mark on and said, do you think there would ever be a possibility where Shoei is going to hit, he's going to DH, and then could be like a closer? And would he be more valuable? Could you do that? Mark thought, eh, I mean, I would have liked to try, but back then people weren't doing that. Uh, do you see that kind of scenario where I just need him to come in and blow people away for one inning and he gets his four or five at-bats a game? Yeah, that's a possibility. you got to figure out how's he going to warm up. Um, I guess if he's a DH, you can do that. So that kind of still precludes him playing in the field. Um, but again, I guess, you know, he's been effective enough as a starter. And frankly, I'd rather, look, how many innings is he going to pitch as a closer? Seven, 70 innings, that's about the max these days. 
where as a starter, you're going to get him up to 130 or 140. Um, so I think I would tend to still keep him as a starter, but I get your point. If he's pitching 70 high leverage innings, there's a ton of value in that. So yeah, I could see that working too. Being around this game, the way you've been around it in your career, uh, did you ever think going thumbs down to New York fans was going to work? <laughs> well, you, you just missed it. The Mets rallied. They scored five runs in the bottom of the ninth just uh, moments ago to beat the Marlins. And the winning run, Javier Baez, on a hustle play, a base hit to left field. He goes first to third. The left fielder bobbles the ball. Baez with a great base running play, scores, beats the throw home. So Mets fans probably love him now, 48 hours later, right, with it with a great uh, hustle play. But, yeah, I know that's – look, the only thing that I can think of off the top of, uh, top of my head that compares is back in the day, Ted Williams had a contentious relationship with Red Sox fans, and he uh, – at least once uh, gave them a certain uh, raised finger. <laughs> so we've seen this before, but I mean, yeah, in New York, you're not going to get get away with it. Mets fans were giving him the uh, the thumbs down sign today. So, but you know, Mets fan they kind of love this in a way. So maybe maybe this will spur the Mets on to something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just I I I think about a guy signs a long term contract to be the face of the franchise. And year one's not going so hot. There's nine years left on this deal. Yeah, that's a really good point. Look, Baez is a rental. He's a free agent. He's going to be somewhere else next year anyways. You're right. The pressure here, you know, long term is on Francisco Lindor, who's going to have to win over Mets fans. And he's going to have to do with this performance, which has been way below his normal level this year. So, you know, there he doesn't have enough time to turn around the season this year, but next year he better have a good year. Mets fans are really going to be on him. You know, let's end on this. If you had to buy stock in one team the rest of the way and in the postseason, who would you be buying stock in? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, the team, uh, it's hard to call them a sleeper, but the Milwaukee Brewers, I think have a chance to go all the way. They have a great top three in that rotation with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta. Though I think Peralta is on the IL right now with a little sore shoulder. Christian Yelich is starting to heat up. He's had not had a good year by his standards, but he's been really hot the last couple of weeks. But they got you know a great uh, end game in the bullpen there. So that's a team that seems to me that it's built. For the playoffs they can really pitch and they catch the ball and they have just enough enough offense i think so if you're asking me on a sleeper team you know beyond like the dodgers or the the rays i think uh it might be the milwaukee brewers and they're the san, san francisco giants are sitting over there going yep. why does no one pick us and give us any more? <laughs> we've, been we've been consistent all year I know, and every, everybody's going to continue to underrate them. Uh, nobody's going to pick them to win the World Series. You know, in fact, we have a piece, you know, on ESPN. I think it's coming out tomorrow where all our writers had to make some picks. And, you know, I picked the Dodgers to catch them and win the division, you know. So, yeah, I, I admit we just look at that team and we still wonder how they're doing it. Oldest team in the league, but they just keep winning. 
Yeah, well, you guys do a great job, and it was wonderful having Sunday Night Baseball out in Oakland for the first time in a long time. We got to see your buddy Buster only hadn't seen him, or or Matty V, obviously, Matt Vaskersian, a big A's fan. I mean, we hadn't seen these guys since the wild card game in 2019. We haven't seen you in a while. I can't wait to see you out in Oakland. <laughs> well, I'd love to get out there at some point because, uh, you know, I grew up in Seattle, so I'm kind of a Mariners fan. But as a baseball fan, man, I would love to see the A's do it one of these years, get Billy Bean to a World Series, get Bob Melvin to a World Series because they do it every year. They're there, you know, and we know with the, the payroll, you know, that the A's have, it's not up there in Yankee land or Red Sox land, you know, but they win. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's see if the A's can catch the Red Sox here and win a wild card. Well, it's always great having you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Be well and be safe. And hopefully we'll see you soon. And, uh, hopefully in the playoffs. All right. You bet, Chris. Thanks for having me. Martin, how are you, buddy? What's up, Tony? How are you doing? Just uh, observing Chris Davis day today. It looks like yeah, so uh, are you buying stock? Do you believe in this? Well, I mean, it's always, you know, you got to have a little bit of, uh, you know, worry just based on, you know, what he was doing was at Las Vegas, right? But, I mean, just seeing a, you know, a, a former, you know, almost face of the team, you know, for years back, you know, in the organization and, and where he's beloved. I know the, the players are excited. Bob Melvin loves Chris Davis, so I know he's excited about that. Just having him back, I think, automatically gives this team – a little bit of a boost, you know, and they've gotten a boost here with Chris Bassett back in the in the clubhouse. And, you know, we'll see what Chris Davis can do. If, if he can replicate those numbers, I mean, obviously that would be great if he can, you know, be the Chris Davis of old hitting home runs again. But just the fact that he's back here, I think it brings a good feeling to the clubhouse. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think that's something that the team could feed off of. Yeah, you remember that day when we announced the contract signing and we were doing the show. I believe you came on the show that day. Uh, from the treehouse and all the media, you guys were there and and the whole front office was there and so many of the employees who unfortunately are no longer with us. You remember that day when he signed the contract? Oh, yeah. You know, that was a huge, huge deal, uh, especially around these parts. You know, the A's hadn't really given out a big contract in a while and, and it was kind of a nice thing to show, you know, moving forward that they were putting all their stock in, into one of their, their best players at the time. And unfortunately... You know, shortly after that, it seemed like things just started to kind of go south for Chris. And, you know, he couldn't really break out of that slump. It went on for, you know, the rest of that year and then the rest of the year after that. And obviously they traded him away, you know, this past off season. But at the time, I mean, you could tell how big a deal it was because all his teammates were there. Like you said, the yeah. whole front office was there. Basically everybody was there. So it was it was a huge deal at the time. And I, I think of one player who definitely benefits from this and he's starting to get hot. And you can speak to this as Matt Chapman, because Matt Chapman and Chris Davis, they they're boys. Right. I mean, they're they're like best buddies. Uh, I think this can be huge for Matt Chapman and continuing uh, good vibes for him going forward. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know, Matt Chapman looked up to uh, Chris ever since, you know, with the Fullerton connection. So, I mean, that go way back. Uh, you know, Matt Chapman actually made the push to Chris Davis to you know, reach out to the organization about making a comeback. And, you know, I think he kind of spearheaded the uh, the efforts for the A's to bring him in on a minor league deal. Obviously, you know, nobody knew where this was going to go. I think everybody, we all looked at it as a long shot that he was going to make the team this year, but he literally forced his way onto the roster by hitting a home run pretty much every day. I mean, you saw the streak he was on in Vegas. So 
he put himself on the map here. It's been a lot of hard work for him, no doubt about that. So he's definitely earned this this call up. It, it wasn't given to him. You know, Cody's made a good point in this show today about how guys have been hot. They bring them up, don't play them right away, and then they're not hot anymore. We've seen it with Seth Brown, Sky Bolt. Is Chris going to get in the line? Like, when do you think we'll see Chris in the lineup? Right, yeah, so he's not in there today. Um, you know, we could see him tomorrow. I know it's a right-hander, so maybe not, but I'm sure Bob Melvin's going to try to get him in that bat uh, at some point, maybe even off the bench, especially if there's a lefty reliever that comes in. I think for sure you'll see him in there because, you know, like it's, it's common. Like like Cody said, you know, a lot of times that does happen. You guys guys hop, but they come up, and then they don't play for a while. It happened with the A's earlier this year. Luis Pereira was called up, and you know, he was hot at AAA was on the bench for about a week and then got a start and, and eventually got a hit. But, um, you know, I think it's always a lot easier when a guy can come up and obviously contribute right away. So I think I would expect Bob to try to get him in there at some point, even if it's just for, even if it's just for an at bat, just to kind of see if he can keep the ball rolling there. You know, I was asked last night on the post game show, are the starters finally running out of steam? Because the starters were, you know, leading baseball and in innings pitch. They were doing so well. But I want to ask you that question. Do you think the starters are starting? We're starting to finally see the fatigue of a long season when some of these guys. Well, first of all, you only had sixty games last year, and then you got guys. Whether you're talking about Cole Irvin or or Cap, who's going tonight, you know they haven't been career guys to go thirty starts. What do you think about that theory? Yeah, it's definitely worrisome with, uh, especially a guy like Caprillion who hasn't, you know, approached even close to what he's going to, you know, get to this year in terms of workload. Um, you know, Cole Irvin seems to have been dealing with, you know, a, a hip type issue there. Uh, he has the last couple starts, so maybe that attributes to his, his short outings. With Sean Manaya, I, I don't know that's necessarily him getting tired as much as it is just kind of working through some mechanical things. Um, I think he's the stamina there. I think he's just kind of going through a rough patch in terms of mechanics. I think if you can figure that out, I, I think he's, you know, it's got the size and the, and the and the stamina to go for for a full workload season. It's just you know getting back to you know what he does best. Frankie Montas seems to be getting stronger as the season goes on, which is a positive for them. And I think you know he's the guy that they're going to have to ride on for the rest of this last month, especially as as their ace. You know, with Chris Bassett out, he steps into that ace role, and you got to expect every night he goes out there, he can go six, seven strong, and and keep you in the ball game for a really good chance to win. Um, you know, and then they've called up Paul Blackburn here recently and, and, you know, he's had a couple of nice starts, but, um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen there. I think Dalton Jeffries eventually could get into that mix as well. Um, but yeah, it definitely hasn't been the same production that, that they had, um, you know, in the first half of the season and even into the second half, they were, they were still doing pretty well. It almost seems like right after when Chris Bassett got, you know, got hurt, that was kind of when everything started to go a little bit South. And I think part of that might've been, you know, the, the more demoralizing aspect of that, but they also have pitched a lot this year and you kind of expect guys to go through a rough patch. August is obviously, you know, the dog days and all that. You, you know, see some guys go through some things, but now here in the final month, you know, this is when you're, this is when your best guys step up. If, if, you know, these starters are legit, you know, they step up and, and keep the team in the ball game. You don't need, you know, a complete game shutout every time, but uh, you know, a little bit more length because we obviously saw how the bullpen was kind of beat up in that giant series and, um, that affected them for a while, but now it seems like, you know, with a couple off days here, they're a little bit back on track. So um, now it's a kind of a clean slate and you you hope your starters can go deeper into games than they have been here the past couple of weeks. Well, you mentioned Frankie Montas and I thought that was the biggest start of his career. You know, if the A's are going to stay in the playoff hunt, 
they got to win. And what he did against a hot Yankees lineup was very, very impressive. Do you think now, as you said, he's getting stronger. Is this the Frankie Montas for his career that we're looking at? You know, this guy has ace-like stuff that he can be a great pitcher. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at his stuff since the numbers since the All-Star break. It's been dominant. I mean, he's looking like the 2019 version of Frankie Montas that we saw, you know, before the suspension happened. And then he came back later that year after the suspension and pitched well in Anaheim that last week of the season. Um, last year with the 60-game season, he started off really well and then, you know, curtailed off to the point where he wasn't even in the postseason rotation anymore. It was quite the fall for him. Um, but now this year, uh, you know, that splitter is nasty. I mean, his splitter is one of the best pitchers in baseball, I think. Um, you know, you go around baseball, everyone's top pitch. Frankie Montas's splitter is up there. I mean, he, he's learned how to incorporate that into his pitch mix so well. And it's such a devastating pitch, when, especially when you're throwing 98, 99. You know, against the Yankees, he was pumping that fastball in there up to 99, close to 100. I mean, it's, hard, it's tough to deal with that type of stuff. So, um, you know, I think this is the Frankie Montas that the A's always felt was was in there. It was just kind of pulling that out of him. And he's still pretty young. But he seems to have figured something out, you know, especially this second half of the season. He's been so consistent for them. And it's been such such a big help to them. And like I said, with Chris Bassett out, I mean, this is exactly the guy that they're going to count on to give them quality start after quality start. If you had to bet on who's going to drop to the A's, you got the Astros, you got the Yankees, you got the Red Sox. Who would you bet on who drops to the A's? Well, I think with what's going on with Boston right now with the whole COVID outbreak, there's nuts. I mean, I think, you know, I don't see how they can overcome something like that. They just lost Bogarts as well. They've got so many guys out, um, you know, and they're going to have to be out here for at least, you know, 10 days or whatever it is. I, I don't, it's going to be hard to withstand something like that. So I think, you know, with the A's only being, well, one game back at this point, I think they definitely have a strong chance to surpass them here and even, you know, add some padding to that, that lead. Um, Cause I, I don't, I don't see how the Red Sox are going to be able to, you know, be successful with so many guys out. It's just, it's tough to overcome something like that. Cause it's not just, you know, some guys off the bench, they have legitimate starters who are going to be out here for a good period of time. And let's be honest. As the A's, you know, we talked about the struggles. You know, the Astros have had their struggles, too. So, I mean, wouldn't you say the division is still in play? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, after last night, only five games back, and they still play the Astros six more times. So, basically, what you want to do is just, you know, take care of business here on this road trip. I mean, the Tigers, you, this is a series you got to win. Um, you know, the Toronto as well. I mean, Toronto has an exciting young team, but, you know, they haven't had the best of seasons. They've got a couple of injuries that they're dealing with. So, I mean, this whole road trip is, a, is one that the A's really need to take advantage of going into September. And if you can get into those Houston series, you know, trailing maybe only, you know, I don't know, four, three games, you know, maybe even five, you keep it at five. Um, you're giving yourself at least a, you know, a chance to control your destiny and, and possibly take the division lead, which I know is still obviously their main goal after winning it last year. They want to defend that and, and show that, you know, it wasn't a fluke and, they're still in it right now. They still got a chance. They just got to, you know, take care of business before that series. Were you very curious, like I was last night before the game got out of hand with Chafin in the eighth? Who was Bob going to use in the ninth? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I've still, you know, we still don't really know how that's going to play out right now with, you know, Trevino obviously getting a break from, from the ninth inning duties. I think, I think it's still something that they're still formulating. Uh, you know, Romo has been used once, and I've, 
obviously, you know, he, it was a little scary with the judge homer he gave up, but Rome has been, you know, pretty good, especially this, since the start of the second half. So I expect him to get some save opportunities here as well. Um, I think AJ Puck is a guy that they want to try to give some high leverage situations as well to see how he deals with them. Uh, it's been kind of up and down for him in those types of roles. Um, but he certainly has the stuff to even be a closer. I mean, if he could get comfortable enough to throw him out there as a ninth inning option, I, I think, you know, he, it would be ideal to put a guy like that out there because when you got, you got a guy like that going out to you in the ninth inning, it's, it's hard for teams to, you know, catch up to that late, late in game. So um, I think it's still up in the air. I think Chafin certainly is, is a big option there. Um, but I think he'll be in the mix. Romo will be in the mix. I think those are the two guys that you're looking for, as for in, ter- in terms of closing opportunities until, you know, Lou Trevino at some point, maybe he works his way back into that role. Um, those are the two guys that you kind of target right now. You know, what's so interesting is when we had Chafin on the program, he, he just talked about, I pitch up, down, and slider in the dirt. That's all he thinks about. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, well, video and learning a new catcher and all this up, down, slider in the dirt. I, I, I think he's kind of got the mentality that you want for a guy late in games. I mean, what do you think about him closing? I mean, I, I would be fine if Bob says, all right, for the rest of the way, this guy's closing games out. Yeah, he definitely keeps it simple out there. And you saw, you know, that last game against the Yankees, he went out there and just took care of business. It, it didn't matter that it was a nice inning. It seemed like any inning that he's ever come in with the A's. I mean, he's been so dominant outside of that one game he had against the Giants. Um, he's definitely, I think, when you look at just, uh, you know, the work that's been put in this year and then the stuff uh, at the top of that list, I would think, in terms of getting, you know, the shot in the ninth. Uh, and I think he, you're right. He definitely has the mentality for it. I don't think it phases him whether he comes in in the sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth, he has, you know, the same game plan every time. And it's worked a lot more times than it hasn't worked, especially this year. He's, he's one of the best relievers in baseball. So, I mean, that was obviously, I think, a pickup that a lot of people don't really look at as, as a huge deal, especially after the Marte stuff and what he's been able to do this year and all the additions on offense. But Chafin, you know, ranks up there in terms of best, you know, midseason acquisitions of baseball this year. And then getting back to Lou Trevino, you're still going to need him. I said it last night in the postgame show. It's like uh, you can't bury the guy. He's got too good of an arm. How do you think they get him back going again? Yeah, you know, uh, his his stuff is there. But, I mean, I think the confidence, especially after those three games in a row where he was unable to hold on two times, hold, unable to hold on to a lead, and then the other one, you know, gives up the go-ahead homer. Um, I think maybe you bring him in a little bit earlier, maybe six, seventh innings you know, let him strike some guys out and, and put up a couple of clean innings. You get him some confidence back and, you know, whether it's back into the closers role or maybe the setup setup role and you go kind of matchup based in the ninth, who knows, but uh, you definitely want to have him, you know, has a high leverage option as you go into the, you know, late September and into the playoffs. Cause you know, he's an arm that you need to count on. You don't have a, a whole lot of guys who can throw high velocity like him and, you know, when it's, we've seen him be really good this year. I mean, is here recently he's been really bad, but for a lot, especially the first half of the season, he earned that closers role. I mean, he, he worked his way into it. He started out as a, as a kind of a, you know, left, right matchup thing with Deekman and he took control of it. So, I mean, I think he can definitely work his way back into it. I think it's just getting confidence back and it comes with kind of maybe lesser situations, maybe even coming in still with a lead, but not in the ninth inning, maybe, you know, seventh inning, sixth inning, you know, come in and, you know, get some confidence back with a couple of strikeouts. You know, when you think about how crazy a baseball season is, 
Who would ever thought Chris Davis would be back? Who would ever thought we'd be talking about Sergio Romo being the closer? I mean, doesn't it just show you how wild baseball truly can be? Yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, even the other night, Paul Blackburn going five shutout against the Yankees. Who would have thought that? I mean, everyone was expecting Paul Blackburn to get, you know, hit hard and, and probably have to go to the bullpen after like two innings. I mean, that was, you, you talk to anybody before that game, that was the expectation. So, I mean, you oftentimes you need, you know, contributions from, from unlikely sources. And that's, the A's have gotten that a couple of times here. Maybe Chris Davis becomes that next one. Um, you know, we'll see, but uh, you always need those types of outings from, from guys that you don't really expect um, because you never know what's going to happen over the course of the season with injuries and whatever. You need guys to step up and they've had guys step up at times when they need to. Tony Kemp even. I mean, Tony Kemp is on a hot streak right now. Uh, and, you know, he's a guy who going into the season, you expect, okay, maybe he's going to be a bench guy, come off, you know, for some pinch hits. But he's probably earned himself a lot more playing time here over the last month with the way he's been swinging the bat. I mean, he's played the most games in his career this year. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, it, it's been phenomenal to watch him. And he's such a good guy that he's someone you truly root for. And the other guy that I think about, you know, coming up, Austin Allen's been really hot. I mean, batting average, power, you name it. I do the minor minor league report in the fifth inning. I mention him all the time. How do you think he's going to be utilized? Because I, what, what he's bringing from the a- aviators are some really good numbers. Yeah, that'll be interesting how they, how they use them. I think, you know, maybe possibly with Moreland being out, you get some some shots at, you know, the DH spot against righties. Um, you know, he's definitely – I think he's always been a really good hitter. Um, it's just been about getting playing time in the majors. I thought we'd see him earlier this year, you know, when Aramis Garcia was kind of struggling up here before they got Jan Gomes. Um, you know, he stayed down there in AAA, and I, I have to think he's coming up here with a ton of confidence based on the numbers he put up. It's just been ridiculous what he's been able to do down there. So. Um, you know, I don't know that the playing time is going to be a, a whole lot for him, but I think they're going to find good spots for him to get him into the lineup or coming off the bench against, a, you know, a righty, you know, out of the bullpen. I think, you know, he's always had a ton of power. He's always been really highly regarded as a hitter, maybe not as much behind the plate. So maybe you don't see him behind the plate at all with Gomes and Murphy being two pretty good defensive catchers who can work with pitchers well. But I think they'll try to find him some at-bats as well. You want like the same thing with Chris Davis. You want to find – you know, ways early to get them at bats so they can try to keep those good times rolling at the play instead of, you know, having to sit around for a whole week and then coming off the bench for one at bat. It's never the ideal situation. So I would expect them to try to get them, you know, some at bats early on here as well. Hey, good stuff, buddy. We'll see you at the Coliseum when we uh, all return from the next homestand. All right. Thanks, Tony. See you later. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com. Fran, it's great. It's it's great to have you on the program again. How is life with the Las Vegas Aviators? Well, the Aviators are uh, playing pretty well right now. We're we're having a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's good to see a lot of our guys go up and uh, you know help help the A's be there with the taxi squad or the September call ups, and uh, we're playing good baseball right now. So it's it's been a good little run. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're talking a lot about is Chris Davis. And as Chris told Bob Melvin that this call up is one of the greatest points of his career. Just what was this run like with Crush Davis as it seemed like he was hummering every single night for you? Well, that's because he was. Um, it, it was it was pretty special. He was with us for 16 games. He hit 10 home runs, you know, six in a row. 
what he was able to do in such a short period of time is unlike anything that I've ever seen. And I think the, the numbers kind of back it up. And even his outs, when he was making his outs, they were loud. It wasn't just the, the, the home runs and it wasn't just the, the doubles. And let's not forget about the two triples he hit in the 16 games as well, which is pretty cool. But his outs were loud and just his hard contact rate was loud. So, you know, it's, it's easy for people to kind of look at this with some skepticism and say, well, he was doing it in the PCL or Las Vegas. And that's just simply not true. He was just crushing the ball and it was fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Two out of the series, we're playing in Tacoma and Oklahoma City, which are very, very pitcher-friendly places as well. So just everything he was doing was on a on the next level. Yeah, it, it kind of bugs me when people act like, ah, is this real or not? I go, hey, listen, the guys at AAA are still some of the greatest pitchers on planet Earth. There, there, there's no question. Just, you know, the talent that you have year in, year out, yeah, are they big leaguers at this point? Maybe not yet, but you you still have some of the best pitchers that we have in all of baseball. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like that throughout baseball where the guys that are AAA could be big leaguers tomorrow. And it's it's elite pitching, and he, he was doing what he did against really, really good pitching. So everyone's just really happy for him here, and uh, hopefully he can produce for the A's and help them win a World Series. Yeah, when, 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 when you think about Chris and his comeback, how many how many conversations did you have with him? And what were the conversations like, whether it was with Billy Bean or David Forrest or Bob Melvin? What were those, those conversations when they're asking you about Chris and you're going, hey, this, what we're seeing is legit? Well, there were a few, there were a few conversations like that. And, you know, it's it's normal to ask that just because the numbers were so gaudy and even even the best hitters in triple a right now aren't doing that aren't doing what he did for a, a two-week span three-week span so you know it's <laughs> you have to ask yourself because people are relying on your opinion and they're relying on the opinion of our staff so what is what we're seeing real and is what we're seeing gonna gonna play at the next level and you know between myself and and uh, Tommy Everidge and, and Brian McCarn. The answer after about ten games was a resounding yes. This plays at not only this level but any level. So, um, yeah, a lot of conversations were had from that aspect as well. You know, when you think about this year with the Aviators, uh, once again you're competing and, and you're grinding. Once again, what what is this season? A full season once again for AAA. What has it been like for you? It's been amazing just because those two words that you said, full season, coming off of last year where we didn't have any season, um, you know, coming off this spring training where the season got delayed by a month and we weren't sure that, that we were going to have a, a regular season. And the fact that the, from our perspective, just getting back onto the field and competing and competing in front of fans and not, not having a, a stoppage in the season because of any COVID-related outbreaks or anything has been you know our, our goal and just competing and having a season has been such a good time and not, not only for the, the players but the staff and the front office and the fans you can really see it all over the league yeah I mean I, I don't think people truly understand what you've been through when you come uh, from a standpoint of 
not just one alternate site. You've dealt with two alternate sites. You've dealt with San Jose. You've dealt with Stockton. It, there, there, there's been a lot of coaching. And uh, just in, in a lot of ways, just how proud of you are, are, are you and your staff that you not only did all of the alternate sites, but you kept a lot of people safe and you've kept these guys, you've kept it, you've kept them healthy. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people responsible for that, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a badge of honor because it, it wasn't easy. And I'm not going to say it wasn't fun because we tried to have as much fun with it as we could, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of stake, you know, not, not even talking baseball wise. There was a lot of stake just trying to make sure everyone stayed safe and, uh, you know, you go through the first alt site and hope that you never have to do another one. And then next thing you know, eight months later, one pops up right in your face again, and you got to go do that. And you just kind of try to roll with the punches the best you can and do the best you can with the, the staff and players and make it as much fun as you can. And I, I think that, uh, that that's what we did. And we came out of it most importantly safe. And uh, that, that was the number one goal. You know, and, and, and another thing that I think about with, with September call-ups, there's not that many. So that helps you down in Las Vegas. How nice is that, that you basically, you got the core of your team going forward as you're trying to win a championship, let's be honest. Well, yeah, this year's a little different because there's no there's no playoffs in AAA, but it's still it's still a matter of, of competing every day and trying to win every day. And, you know, normally the, the – the roster expands to uh, as many as 40 players. And depending on the year, they'll take most of our players from AAA just to have that depth or just maybe give guys experiences in the big league level. And this year there's only two September call-ups. So yeah, we'll, we'll still have most of our team intact. Um, you know, winning here is not as important as you know, having guys ready to produce or being able to produce at the major league level. Um, so you know, either way is fine with me, but you know, what I see from only uh, allowing two players to go up is maybe somewhere down the line. And I'm not even saying with us, maybe with other organizations, depending on the year there, there would be guys that this would be their only opportunity to get to the big leagues. And with only two September call-ups, I just don't see those instances happening much anymore. And, you know, sometimes that's the only way a guy's ever going to play in the big leagues, but you know, the, the, decisions that were made as far as this year and the rules, you know, that's totally out of my hands, but two, two guys, hopefully Chris and, and Alan can go up and do just a great job. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I know a couple of people with the Padres and they, they made the uh, comparison Austin Allen to Steven vote, which was very impressive. I know Austin had been playing great for you, I, what what are the you know we'll we'll talk so much about Chris Davis, but what are the A's getting with Austin Allen? I mean, Austin has done everything he's he's had to do at the AAA level. He's had a sneaky, just fantastic year, offensively and defensively. His pitch calling has been fantastic. His work ethic has been fantastic. He's throwing the ball well. He's receiving the ball well. Uh, the damage has been there. You know, he has twenty home runs, and he just did everything that we asked of him and everything that the organization has asked from him. And he's put together another great year. So uh, I know having a left-handed catcher is, gives him a little bit more versatility up there and hopefully he can, uh, he can help him down the, down the stretch. 
Yeah, and 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 you you, you think about the versatility, what we talk about, and and Sky Bolt's going to come up. What, what what do you think really ultimately is like Sky Bolt's future? Because down in AAA, he puts up great numbers. We know he's a terif- terrific athlete, and he's played for you. What, what do you think his future is at the next level? I think he's got a, a really, really bright, really long major league career ahead of him. Um, you know, he has gotten some opportunities in the major leagues, and he'll be the first one to tell you that he hasn't made the most of them. Uh, you know, it's it's difficult when you're you're coming up as a AAA guy to, to make your mark and to to stay in the lineup. And he's had he's had those opportunities and hasn't you know you know done as much damage. And it, it's a matter of him just being comfortable in the atmosphere and letting his ability shine because he is such a talented player. He is such a great defender. Uh, he hits from both sides of the plate. He can hit for power. He can hit for average. And, and that's really what he needs to do. He needs to let everyone know that he is not only a good AAA player, that he is a, a good major league player. And sometimes that takes a while. And uh, I, I, I think Sky will get to that point and get to that level and have a really long major league career. You know, I think about that. I think about the nurturing of your job when a guy comes back to you from Major League Baseball to AAA. What is that like for you to where you know it's not about the physical tools, it's about the it's about the mental part and, and, and your job is then to nurture that middle part, but mental part to get him back to the big leagues. Talk talk about how that works. Well, it's it's player dependent, obviously, because everyone's the same. You know, some guys are take take a week to you know, figure out that they have to still compete and perform in AAA to, to get back there. Um, some guys are happy to come down, not not because they're happy to leave the major leagues, but because they weren't playing and they feel that they need to play to keep developing. Um, some guys come down and I've seen this and sadly enough, it happens too often that, that it kind of takes them out of their game for a month or two and costs them a season. And those are the guys that, that you really try to have to reach as soon as possible. And sometimes you have success and sometimes you don't, but it, every, every player is different and every, every player has different, you know, ways of handling demotions or promotions. And you just have to be really keen on observing what makes them tick and you know what you know from them as a, as a player in the past when you've had them and try to get them back on track as soon as possible. You know, Fran, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. It's cause it's like, not only do you have to be a manager and you have to win games, it's almost like it's sometimes you have to be a psychologist too with, with the job that you have at AAA. <laughs> our staff kind of jokes sometimes that we're, you know, we'll have a player meeting or someone will have a meeting and it'll be like, Hey, it was a Dr. Phil moment where we tried to <laughs> try to talk a guy off a, off a, a ledge or try to make him feel comfortable in a situation where he doesn't. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of those moments and it's, uh, it's interesting for sure, but it's, it's part of the challenge of the job. And it's part of why we do this is, to, to try to help. And even though we're not obviously equipped to be <laughs> psychologists, it's, it's, it's a lot of trying to just make guys feel comfortable and confident. You know, it, it's, uh, it's been a couple of years. It's God, it's been almost two years since we've seen you. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Hopefully we'll see you soon. And, 
keep doing what you're doing because you're keeping all these guys safe and, and you're getting these games in. I think that's the biggest point, uh, you know, whether it's to Bob Melvin or to yourself. It's uh, keeping guys safe and playing games has been the number one key. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. Thank you so much, friend. You be well and you be safe. Thank you. Have a good one. Joe, it is an honor to have you once again. Just how has life been for you? It's been great. We've been so blessed and uh, just been uh, traveling around. Our kids are spread out all over the United States, so we travel a lot in the RV and uh, just try to go see them as often as we can. So uh, survive the COVID thing. It's still, of course, uh, affecting a lot of people, but we've been blessed. We uh, stayed away from that. We uh, tried to be real careful last year. You know, when we talk about this Hall of Fame that we're, we're we're putting together here, obviously, I think about your career as a three-time World Series champion. I think about you as an all-star. I think you as a gold glove winner, uh, one truly one of the great outfielders of, of, of your era. What did it mean to you when the A's gave you the call saying, yes, we have this Hall of Fame now, and you're going in it? Uh, I was very, very surprised. Uh, what, what an honor. You know, we've had so many great players come through uh, Oakland over the years. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, a lot of great teams, a lot of great individuals. And uh, I'm just very, very honored, very, uh, very surprised uh, to go in that, that early. I was hoping at some point I might get there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that had some great careers. Well, I yeah, yes, but so did you. And when you think about your career and, and, and the guys that you played with, it truly is one of the great eras and one of the great times in baseball. When you look back and you think about the greatness of winning three World Series titles, I mean, obviously you would never envisioned it when you were in Kansas City, but in Oakland, what a special time. It really was. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I signed with the Kansas City A's had a, a great scout named Don Preeze who uh, started following me when I was a sophomore in high school down in Modesto, California, not far away. And uh, as I got on my senior year, you know, he started talking a lot about who was on the team at the time in Kansas City. And he said, hey, you know, you, you got a really good chance of getting the big leagues in a hurry. He said, you know, we got a terrible team. Finley's trying to sign a lot of people to, to, to this time, you know, and I Signed in the middle of 64, um, never really had a full year in 65, 66, had to go into Marine Corps Reserves, which unfortunately guys today don't have to go. You know, I used to cost us 30, 40 games a year going to reserve meetings. But, uh, you know, I went from A ball in Modesto in 66. I was a starting left fielder in 1967 in Kansas City, which was, you know, a little bit over my head at the time. <laughs> I, think I, I think I just turned 19, 20, somewhere in there. I can't even, 20, I guess it would be. But to go to A ball there, end up going back to Double uh, A and uh, Birmingham with Reggie and Fingers and Duncan and that whole group for Larusa. Uh, almost you know a good portion of the guys that we play together in Modesto. I think there's 14 guys off the team of Modesto that went there, and that, you know that's a big difference with today. Is you know we played together for a long time. We all came signed you know, within a few years of each other. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, and they all came through A ball, Double A up to the big leagues. You know, we. Uh, Finley sort of just threw us all out there. I think in 68, there, there was times when our average on the field age was 22 of all the players um, that were starting. He just threw us out there and 
you know, we learned how to play. We got our brains beat in in 68, 69 a little bit. 70, we were better. And then, you know, 71, things turn around. We won our division. But uh, the big blessing is we got to play together for so long, and we really didn't have, especially with our pitching, any great, uh, you know, injuries where we lost guys for a whole season and stuff. And you look at the the players, of course, a big thing to me that really changed us is when we got Kenny Holtzman come in you know he won 60 games in those three years he was with us I mean I hope he gets in the Hall of Fame down the line here because he was uh, such a huge difference for our pitching staff when did when when did you know when you looked around and you guys as you said have been together for years when did you know you know we're legit we're the best in baseball when was that moment well, I think, you know, as we got into, you know, 70, we start. I think we finally had a winning season and uh, started playing a little better. 71, you know, we played uh, Baltimore back when they had four 20-game winners, and they beat us three straight in the playoffs. But, you know, you started looking at the guys who were hitting so well. Reggie and Sal, you know, so solid. You know, Campy was great. Dick Green was probably one of the best second basemen I've ever, ever seen defensively play the game. And uh, and we had great pitching, you know, Raleigh and the starters we had. I mean, you start looking around at the other teams and you go, hey, you know, all we need is a few more little cards here and there. And uh, we got a good shot at this thing. And, you know, anything can happen, you know, in baseball, any of the sports, really, with injuries and that kind of stuff. But we were very blessed that, that like you said, with especially our, our pitching and our bullpen was so solid that we didn't lose any of those big guys uh, during that run. Yeah, and, and it's it's really crazy to think that Charlie Finley was orchestrating all of this from Chicago to Oakland. Like, like th- th- this will never happen again in anybody's lifetime. <laughs> you have an owner who's acting also as the GM, and he's in the Midwest while his team's on the West Coast. Right, we'll never see that again. I, it was amazing. I, you got to give Charlie credit, you know, as much as he's berated by a lot of people and stuff. The man was brilliant. You look at the the, the people that we picked up during the 71 through 75 into 76, whenever we needed, you know, we picked up a Don Mincher and, and Gonzalo Marquez and, and uh, the Lou brothers and on and on that came in and filled those roles when we needed it. Uh, it was amazing. And you look at the uh, relief pitcher, you know, we had three or four relievers in the, uh, in the bullpen that all had been number one relievers on different teams. Yeah. True. I mean, truly amazing. And can you tell us the story of what it was like when you got traded to the Red Sox, you went over, I believe you, you went over to their clubhouse. It was in Oakland and you guys took a picture, but of course it was denied obviously by the commissioner just take us through that what that was like it, it was really almost earth shattering to me you know because that was my 13th year with the organization and uh, uh we had had the day off on monday and gone down to sacramento to visit friends and we were gone all day back you know this is before cell phones and so nobody could get a hold of us and so we didn't know until we got back on Tuesday morning, you know, for that game, we had uh, the Red Sox were actually in town on the 16th, 17th, 18th. And so we found out, you know, we got traded and uh, Vita got sold. And, uh, you know, so we go to the ballpark and literally, you know, packed all our gear up and 
walked across the hall to the visiting clubhouse and they had to take my white shoes and paint them black. Oh, wow. And fortunately it was, uh, it was sort of unique because, uh, 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 Daryl Johnson was a manager who was a good friend of mine. I mean, I hunted ducks with him in the off season. He lived, he lived there out in the East Bay near me. And uh, so I knew him and his wife real well, uh, came over and he said, Hey, I'm not going to play you guys. And I just gonna let the, you know, things settle down. You got a lot of press crap to talk. And fortunately I swear it was just strangest feeling. I went out to run sprints just to loosen up. And it was like, I, I'd lost all my coordination. I felt like a three-legged horse trying to, to just to run wind sprints. I was so disoriented in this whole situation. And it was a true blessing that he didn't play us that night because, uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I mentally was not ready for that. Uh, you know, looking back in a way I, I would have, you know, been nice to stay with them with Boston at a time. You know, we were only like two and a half months from the end of the season and they just spent a million dollars for me and I'm a free agent. That would have been a pretty good bargaining chip with uh, Boston for salary. No, and then Bowie Coon, uh, the old commissioner, he voids the trade. So then what was that like? you got to take all your stuff and now go back to the A's clubhouse. It's, it's crazy to think about. It really was. Uh, you know, my wife was excited to get, you know, to go to Boston. We both loved Boston. I loved hitting there. I was probably had my best career batting averages and everything else in Boston. Of course, a lot of hitters will say that, but uh, we were excited to go. Uh, my wife had the whole house packed up there in Oakland, took trunks to the ballpark, uh, on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, getting ready for, to, to leave there. And, uh, and then, you know, I think the big thing that happened there was Charlie sort of sprouted off in the, uh, newspapers that, you know, he had sold Raleigh and myself for a million dollars to those guys. We're still unsigned. He tricked Biden in the signing and, and, and sold him to the Yankees for a million and a half. So the Yankees just said, Hey, give him whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, the thing people don't realize is that, you know, we had, turned in requests for salaries and i think for most of the six or seven guys that were in that unit there uh, a lot of us got more to sign with other teams than the whole group would have cost charlie if he had just signed us at the beginning of the year and uh, so it, it was it was very uh, we didn't know what was going to happen you know at the beginning charlie you know he coon uh, negated the sale and so the three of us are sort of hanging out. We don't know what to do. And finally, Charlie allowed us to come in and keep working out while he was suing Coon. And uh, I think after, I'm trying to think, about two weeks, I'm trying to remember how many days it was. It seemed like forever, but at least two weeks. Um, on a Sunday afternoon, we were playing um, Minnesota, I believe. And Jim Todd was our player rep. And he went in and told... Uh, Chuck Tanner, our manager, said, hey, if Joe Rudy isn't in the lineup today, we're not taking the field. We're going to work. So call Finley and tell him, hey, either, put, you know, reinstates Raleigh and I on the team or, you know, we're going to forfeit the game. And so that sort of pushed Charlie where he had no choice but to reinstate us. And so, you know, Tanner came in, posted the lineup and then my name was in the lineup. Everybody gave out a yell and we, you know, we went down like five minutes before the game. To, to get ready to play uh, so it was a very bizarre time we really didn't know what was going to happen yeah that i mean it, it, it is so unbelievable and you're talking about you know yourself 
and Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh Fingers is one of the greatest pitchers slash relievers in the history of the game, and he's not pitching? I mean, it's just crazy to think that it happened. Well, you look back at that time, and we, we lost the West to uh, Kansas City by a game and a half, two games, something like that. And, you know, we went, you know, two and a half weeks without playing the game. You know, you think if things would have just continued in a normal mode, we, I truly believe we would have won the division again in, in 76. So, like you said, to lose Raleigh, especially coming out of the bullpen, I mean, that's you, you can't replace him. If you guys would have stayed together, like, if you would have kept the core together, how many World Series do you think you do win? Again, you know, the injuries and everything, you never know, but I truly believe we could have kept going because, you know, if we hadn't lost Catfish, that was, that was the real dagger is when we lost. Catfish was the heart and soul of that pitching staff, and, and you know, he was such a super guy. Everybody loved him. And, uh, he, you know, you just look back at the number of innings he pitched and, and the, you know, the great career, he, I mean, the great season he had in 74 was just unbelievable. The number of innings he pitched, and I think he won 25 games that year. And so, you know, you back, let's see, 70, 76, I think most of us were 28, 29 years old. We, you know, we hadn't even hit our 30s yet. And so the whole main pitching staff and all the main players and everything else weren't 30. So I truly believe if we would have kept that team together, we would have, we would have made some noise. Well, I'll tell you what, you had an unbelievable career, and it's going to be an honor to be there when you get in to the Oakland A's Hall of Fame because it's well-deserved, and I'm sure your family is going to be very, very proud. They they definitely will. You know, we got. I'm sure there's still a – a few fans that are going there, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of fans, but we had some loyal fans that uh, when I went back and coaching a little bit and gone down for different functions, you just see the same people there that have been going there for 50 years. And it's always fun to uh, to come to the Coliseum with so many great memories and uh, so many great people that we met along the way. So we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, Joe, I still got people who call my post-game show and, and they'll be like, I was there as a kid. There are still there are still a lot of people who remember the greatness that was your Oakland A's team and those three straight championships. It's it's amazing. I, I, I get more fan mail asking for autographs and stuff now than I think I did when I played. <laughs> it's uh it, it, it's still going strong. People still you know remember when they're kids and you know, on and on. So it's uh you know hard to believe I'm turning seventy five here in a few days. So it's. The time is going by, but, uh, you know, we were so blessed to be in that group of guys. And, uh, you know, fortunately, when we get together, it's like we never, never separated. So, you know, you still, still hitting on everybody and uh, the jabs never quit. Well, God bless you guys. You're truly one of the great teams in the history of our remarkable game. Thank you so much for coming on the program again. Congratulations going into the Hall of Fame. And we can't wait to have you back here on A's Cast Live. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I enjoy the games. I still get on MLB TV and uh, watch the games, listen to you guys every night. So it's uh, a pleasure to listen. You guys do a great job. And uh, our prayers, of course, with Ray. And I haven't heard too much anymore about him, but we keep our prayers going for him and uh, keep up – a great job, and it's fun watching those young players they got today. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.